we have asked you here to play a game that this time we're calling C is for cookie. <laughs> Yay, today Gastropod is still on hiatus, and instead we're going to play Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. That actually sounds like a fabulous plan, and I would definitely enjoy it, but Cynthia, you know that's not what's happening. That said, why not listen to just a little bit more? I like cookies. <laughs> One of the most famous cookie people around is Wally Amos, better known as Famous Amos. You've seen his cookies. Yeah. What is Famous Amos's other claim to fame? Was it A, as a talent agent, he discovered Simon and Garfunkel. B, he set and still holds the world record for number of cigarettes smoked at once. Or C, he happens to be a champion Morris dancer. A. You're going to go for A. As a talent agent, he discovered Simon and Garfunkel? Yes. Yes, you're right. That's what he did. It's true. First, that story is totally wild. And now we can reveal that Gastropod is making an episode about one of my all-time favorite duos, The Only One, where I can sing quite possibly every single song they ever sang together word for word. Which is something I never knew about you and which is very exciting because I, too, know every word of every Simon and Garfunkel song ever recorded. Somehow, Nikki, it never even occurred to me to ask because you're a Brit who doesn't have 70s activist American parents like I did. I never imagined we could possibly share this. But I grew up in suburban London on country music and Simon and Garfunkel. Don't ask me to explain. But hey, if we ever get to take a gastropod road trip again, the soundtrack is sorted. Honestly, I don't know which is more astonishing, that Simon and Garfunkel were discovered by Famous Amos, or that you and I both know all the lyrics to the entire Simon and Garfunkel herb, and we never realized. But unfortunately, this episode is not about either of those truly shocking facts. So let's just head back to Wait, Wait. Fortunately, you know, see if you get go for perfect here, why not? Everything else you've no, done is perfect. No, oh God! Come on! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Fortune cookies don't get a lot of attention because they're free, they taste like sweetened cardboard, but on occasion, on one occasion, a fortune cookie changed lives. How? A, a desperate message inside a cookie led to the freeing of 50 imprisoned fortune cookie factory workers. (laughs) B, a fortune cookie typo introduced the phrase on fleek to the language. Uh Or C, a fortune cookie correctly predicted Powerball numbers leading to 110 people winning $100,000 each. I say C. You're going to go C? You're right again. This truly happened. And yes, you guessed it, D. This episode is truly all about everything fortune cookie. But just in case you're wondering, this is actually Gastropod, not Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I am Cynthia Graber. And I'm Nicola Twilley. And it's still kind of the new year in my mind. And anyway, it's definitely the Chinese New Year. And what better time for some good fortune in cookie form? I, like many Americans who grew up eating out frequently at Chinese restaurants, I enjoyed quite a number of fortune cookies. But I never see them sold downtown for Chinese New Year. So are these cookies also enjoyed in China, are they really Chinese? Also, who writes all those fortunes and do they actually know the Powerball numbers ahead of time? All that plus Freaky Friday, Dennis the Menace, and The Simpsons. Gastropod is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network in partnership with Eater. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath, then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. 
And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. On a recent reporting trip to San Francisco, Nikki and I visited one of the country's oldest still-operating fortune cookie factories. It's on a little side street in Chinatown, and the factory is only about the size of a small corner store like a bodega. As soon as you step off the street, you are in the middle of cookie madness. There's a whole production line with machines mixing cookie batter and other machines piping out thin, flat circles of that batter like crepes. Ooh, the batter is being mixed. Those thin cookie discs go into an oven, and as soon as they come out while they're still soft and malleable, a couple of older Chinese women pick them up with their bare hands and quickly fold the cookie disc around a small piece of paper. You need just the right malleability. It is totally mesmerizing watching what she's doing. Look at that. Very smooth. I sense that if I did that, it would not turn out the same way. There's no way. Yeah, everything is, uh, it looks very simple, but everything is, is a mystery. You know, when the thing come out, it takes four seconds if you don't get it done in the tray. So actually, once it open up, and she had to fall away right within four seconds. Four seconds the key to get it done. This is Kevin Chang. He's the owner of the Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory. It's been in his family for decades. Our recipe is unique. You don't get that recipe outside. My mom created this recipe for 59 years. Visiting one of the country's oldest fortune cookie factories was fun, but it didn't answer my question, which is really, where do fortune cookies come from? So for that, we turned to someone who's been on the show before. So fortune cookies are a confectionery that are most famed in the United States. They are yellow and shaped like Pac-Man. The ones that are most, you know, uh, sort of the canonical fortune cookie is vanilla and butter flavored yellow cookie. That's sort of like originally grilled as a circle and then like folded and then uh, folded again with a piece of paper inside. That's Jenny Aitley, and she wrote an entire book called The Fortune Cookie Chronicles. And they are associated with Chinese restaurants, which is the main place of distributing them. They are made now in American huge volumes. Jenny, who's Chinese-American, grew up eating fortune cookies like basically every other American. I don't know that we ate them because they're actually not that yummy tasting. So I think, you know, if, if you're, I use them, I used fortune cookies, <laughs> I consume them, but they were kind of mostly just a vessel to, to bring that little tweet <laughs> to, <laughs> to, into my life. But yeah, they were definitely a huge part of growing up Chinese American in New York City. Jenny just assumed that because these cookies came only with Chinese food, that they were, of course, Chinese. And then it was only when I was like in seventh grade or so that I read a book called the Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, 
where I learned fortune cookies weren't Chinese. And I was like, what? And it was like learning there was no Santa Claus and Easter Bunny or Tooth Fairy like all at once. I mean, it just like kind of shook your foundation of like what the world was. In the book, The Joy Luck Club, which is a book I read a long time ago and quite enjoyed, a couple of Chinese immigrant women get a job in a fortune cookie factory and they are quite amused by this strange thing that isn't Chinese at all. So if a fortune cookie isn't a traditional Chinese dessert, what actually is? I mean, basically, they used to serve like orange slices. That's actually what real Chinese restaurants are for, you know, Chinese people. The dessert is like fruit and like melon or orange. It was not fortune cookies. Another common dessert would be like red bean soup or like red bean soup with tapioca or like green bean soup. Not my idea of a good time, I'll be honest. Not mine either, and Jenny agrees. Historically, Chinese desserts, not great, right? Like, you know, they were really into the moon cake, which like looks and tastes like a hockey puck. I mean, I really like appreciate the cultural significance, the holiday, you know, but they're terrible. I mean, moon cakes are like really, really just terrible desserts. Jenny told us that desserts in general taste good because of sugar and fat, and Chinese desserts typically have very little of either one. And then on top of that, the Chinese didn't historically use ovens because there wasn't a lot of wood to heat ovens. We talked about this in our oven episode, but the result is not a big dessert culture. So Jenny wondered, if fortune cookies are not a traditional Chinese dessert, then where are they from, and how did they become so popular at American Chinese restaurants? Jenny had spent quite a while with this question kind of floating around her mind. She was thinking about how popular Chinese restaurants were in America and why they all handed out this strange little oracle at the end of the meal. And then as part of that journey, you know, there was this event that happened where 110 people, surprising number, came in second in a Powerball lottery um, in 2005. This is the story behind that wait-wait question. All these people won second prize in the Powerball drawing, which means 110 people, each of them taking home somewhere between 100000 and $500,000. And, you know, statistically, based on the number of tickets that were sold, it should have been like three or four, you know, and it really stunned the organizers of the lottery. They're like, is this a scam? Is there fraud? Does someone collude? You know, is there a leak? The organizers were confused. How did so many people have an identical number that was prize winning? They asked, you know, the first person, so where'd you get your number from? You know, and they had been thinking like maybe it was like from a TV show that they, they like up lost. They look up the young and restless, which both had plot lines involved, you know, winning lottery numbers and people often use those kinds of numbers. And it wasn't that... And it wasn't until the people started coming in that, you know, they said like, oh, you know, it's from a fortune cookie. And the second person was like, oh, I, was, you know, I got it from a fortune cookie. And the third person was like, I, I also got it from a fortune cookie. And the person in Tennessee actually still had that little slip of paper with the fortune cookie numbers in their wallet. Turns out that choosing your lottery numbers based on a fortune cookie's lucky numbers is not actually super rare. And every so often people win thanks to their cookie. 66-year-old Charles Jackson of North Carolina came forward yesterday to claim the prize from Saturday night's Powerball jackpot worth more than 344 million bucks. He's a retired retail worker. He chose the cash option, which will land him about $233 million. He said he has been playing the same lottery numbers for years, which he actually got off of a fortune cookie that his granddaughter had at a Vietnamese wow. restaurant years ago. So that strategy worked. Congratulations, Emma Duvall, on her $2 million win! Yes, $2 million. Not bad. 
She's digging it. That was February in a Powerball drawing. Well, it turns out after years of playing birthdays, anniversaries, you know, trying to pick her own numbers, it wasn't working out. She tried a lucky lotto number from a fortune cookie. And See that those was things it. at the bottom? And that was two bucks. We're going to Chinatown after this. <laughs> so apparently, it's not super unusual to win based on your fortune cookie. But what was kind of shocking in 2005 was just how many people at how many different restaurants all around the country had the same number. Jenny decided to visit all those restaurants and talk to the people who ate there. And it was just so interesting because you would talk to them. And, you know, the stories were, like, different, but they were the same. Like, it was lunch. It was it was dinner. It was takeout. It was sit down. It was delivery. It was with friends. It was, it was with family. It was last week. It was a month ago. It was three months ago, but they all had a thing in common, which is all came down to like Chinese food and all came down to a fortune cookie. So that sort of like unified them. And it just kind of gave me a sense of just how American fortune cookies were. At this point, Jenny began to realize she had a project on her hands, specifically a book and then a movie that teased out all the stories behind these truly American Chinese foods and how much a part of American life they are. I'm from a small town in Montana, Missoula, Montana. And I remember going to, you know, the pink and the red booths with the neon and getting the um, white takeout boxes with the fortune cookies. We had a favorite Chinese uh, restaurant. It was called Y-Y, W-A-I, W-A-I, Y-Y. And it was about maybe, what, a mile from the, from the house? Yeah. We were there a lot. Yeah, they had yeah. the best Chinese buffet you've ever had. Mom doesn't want to cook. Oh, let's call in for Chinese. It's fast, it's easy, and you don't have to do any dishes because everything is right there for you. They even throw in the plastic forks. So. That's from the movie The Search for General Tso, and in the movie and in our episode, The United States of Chinese Food, Jenny explores the origin of dishes like chop suey and General Tso's chicken and, of course, fortune cookies. Spoiler, all of these things turn out to be basically as American as apple pie. Fortune cookies have been so popular in America for so long that they show up in golden oldies. There's a whole movie called The Fortune Cookie, directed by the famous Hollywood director Billy Wilder in the 1960s. And fortune cookies show up in the classic early 60s TV show Dennis the Menace. Say, Mom, is it all right if I invite a little friend in to have a fortune cookie, too? Well, of course you could, dear, but I'm afraid there aren't any left. Oh, well, Alice, do me a favor and uh, let Dennis's friend have mine. Keepers, thanks, Mr. Wilson. It's all right. You can come on in and have a fortune cookie too, Tiny. Turns out Dennis's friend is a very cute puppy called Tiny. Here, Tiny. Hey, not the whole cookie. This is your fortune. Well, what does it say? Beware. You are about to lead a dog's life. Jeepers, Mr. Wilson, this fortune cookie must be meant for you. Oh, for those glory black and white mom and apron days of Dennis the Menace. That rascally dog Tiny ate the fortune. Such jolly japes. The fortune cookie has made more modern appearances as well. It's shown up in episodes of Star Trek and the Smurfs and the Simpsons. Uh, What's your fortune say? You will enjoy the company of others. That's exactly what I'm enjoying right now. Spooky. Today is your lucky day. Yeah, pfft. Hey, Homer, if I was you, I wouldn't be so quick to say pfft. If it's your lucky day, you'd be a fool not to take advantage of it. Hey, any part of a cookie you can't eat is just a waste of time. <laughs> OMG, you are never going to believe what happens next. Homer slips, falls, hits a vending machine, and all the chocolate bars and Twizzlers and Doritos fall out on top of him. 
<laughs> what incredible good luck. Just as the cookie foretold. If that's not enough, the modern version of Freaky Friday, where the mom and daughter switch bodies, it happens because of a magic fortune cookie. You can just cut me some slack just no, this once, Mom. I am beyond cutting you slack, Anna. But you are not going to the audition. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Why not? Because I said so. Cookie. So not to labor the point, but I think we've established that fortune cookies are integral to the highest products of American culture and civilization. But we still haven't figured out where and when they were actually invented. That's coming up after the break. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Jenny's early research showed that by the 1950s, after World War II, the fortune cookie was everywhere. So she figured she had to look even earlier to find out where it came from. And the first thing she found was a legal case. There was a a sort of fake trial that took place in San Francisco that pitted Los Angeles to San Francisco as the original, you know, home of the fortune cookie. This was not a real trial, of course. It took place in the 1980s at this thing called the Court of Historical Review in San Francisco. They had representatives from both sides, the Los Angeles side and the San Francisco side, and both sides argued why their city was the original home of the fortune cookie back before World War II. And they both had myths, uh, you know, or local lore about how fortune cookies were introduced in the United States. You know, there's one story out of the Japanese Tea Garden, Golden Gate Park. There's another one out of Los Angeles and bakeries there. Regular listeners will know that I live in Los Angeles, so I'm sort of biased. It's 100% of a better city than San Francisco, so why wouldn't we have invented the fortune cookie, too? All you San Francisco people listening, ignore what Nikki just said. Your city is lovely, too. But anyway, the Los Angeles claim centers around a guy named David Jung, who was a Chinese immigrant from Canton. He was the founder of the Hong Kong Noodle Company in L.A. before World War I. David's son George told the court that the idea for putting a fortune inside a cookie originally came from a traditional game supposedly played by aristocrats in China. The way this game went, you would be given writing implements and a sort of twisted cake that contained a writing prompt, and then you were expected to make up a wise little story to share. Jenny said another story printed in the New York Times and used at the trial It said that David had created these cookies with little fortunes inside to cheer up downtrodden men on the streets of Los Angeles, and the messages had been written by a minister. But the San Francisco side wasn't having any of this. They came with receipts. 
And they claimed that the fortune cookie wasn't Chinese in origin at all. Dun, 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 dun. The San Francisco side was led by a city employee named Sally Osaki. And she said that fortune cookies got their start at the Japanese tea garden in Golden Gate Park before World War I. And they were introduced by a Japanese immigrant named Makoto Hagiwara. And Sally pulled out a couple of round black iron grills like round waffle irons to prove it. The original fortune cookies were cooked on these types of grills. And the judge ruled in favor of San Francisco, which is totally unfair because later an even older Japanese bakery in L.A., one which is still around today, they also found their old traditional cookie grilling tools. So I declare this a mistrial. It's still not clear whether the cookies originated in Los Angeles or in San Francisco. But one thing is clear. The stories of a Chinese origin in either city were definitely wrong. It was easy and quick to recognize that those were not the origin of the fortune cookie. And that, I know, definitely had some kind of Japanese connection to it. After all, in both cities, Japanese bakeries were where those cookies were originally made. So the challenge facing Jenny was to tease out exactly what that Japanese connection was. Because it's not like everybody in Japan is like, fortune cookies, we know them, we love them. So were fortune cookies from Japan and just got forgotten there? Or did they get invented by Japanese Americans or what? The mystery deepened. And then came the big breakthrough. One of Jenny's sources, he's actually a descendant of one of the owners of one of the original Japanese bakeries in San Francisco making fortune cookies. He told her that a Japanese researcher had come poking around and asking questions about fortune cookies. She showed him a woodblock print that looked like a man cooking fortune cookies over a fire, and the print was from 1878 in Japan. This is decades before any of the American claims. And so... It is a individual who looks like a baker. He's in a kimono. You know, he has those little round, like, griddles with long, long handles. And you can see, like, their little round thingies. And not to the degree where you can actually tell that they are fortune cookie shaped. But still, it seemed like a clue. And so Jenny followed it all the way back to its source. She tracked down this researcher. Her name is Yasuko Nakamachi, and she studies Japanese confectionery. Yasuko had first noticed fortune cookies on a trip to New York. Like everyone else, she thought they were Chinese. But a few years later, back in Japan, she was doing some research as per usual, and she found a reference in a book to Japanese cookies that were folded around little pieces of paper. Those seemed to her to be suspiciously like a fortune cookie. These Japanese cookies were supposedly a regional speciality, and so Yasuko decided to travel to the small town mentioned in the book. And lo and behold, bakers in this town were still making these kind of cookies for New Year. Then, as Yasuko dug deeper, she realized these kinds of cookies were mentioned in a few different places, in Japanese literature and historical records. An American is even quoted in one of these back in 1883. He described these cookies as being crisp and, quote, tasting like ginger snaps without the ginger. I'm not sure what that even means. But Yasuko looked and looked and then found the final smoking gun. That's when she found one of the few remaining copies of a book that had the 1878 print, the one with the guy grilling the cookies. A label on the drawing said they were called Tsujiura Senbei. This means bell cracker. In other areas, they were called a different name that translates to fortune crackers. Jenny traveled to Japan to meet up with Yasuko and they went on an expedition to a shrine in a town outside Kyoto, where Yasuko said they could see these Japanese fortune crackers being made. Where there is a whole series of little mom-and-pop, like, hand bakeries outside 
a big temple where they're still making fortune cookie like things and with grills and it's kind of funky because they're not like little and yellow like the ones that we have in the United States they're big and brown and they're like they're kind of have a soy and miso flavor to them so they're a little bit more savory you grill them and then sometimes you roll them up and so they become you know like a distant cousin of a fortune cookie so like if you see it it's like the dna you know if you take like your ancestry.com or you're like um 23 and me thing and you're like oh my god here are all the relatives i did not know i had that is what it kind of looked like when we went back and these miso flavored folded japanese crispy crackers did in fact have a piece of paper inside the piece of paper is not inside pac-man's body it's like in his mouth like he's like eating like or like holding onto it with his mouth and what was interesting is that they tended not to be like fortunes as we think of as fortunes they were like pieces of poetry or maybe like a song lyric you know they were they were just pretty prose right but they are not making oracle like predictions about like your future these japanese cookies are savory and they're bigger and then the fortunes are sort of wedged in the claws of the cookie not inside it and they're more poetic than predictive still jenny and yasuko are convinced that these are definitely the ancestral origins of the fortune cookie the inspiration for the yellow pac-man american version we know and love or at least expect which means we can conclusively conclude that the fortune cookie has its roots in Japan originally, not China. But then so how did the fortune cookie become Chinese? Or really more specifically, how did it become a specialty in American Chinese restaurants? What happened is, you know, back in the day, people weren't eating sushi or raw fish in America. I mean, this is where, you know, salt was like the very exciting spice of the day. So Japanese people were not running Japanese restaurants. They ran Chinese restaurants because at that point, chop suey is very popular. And so the Japanese restaurants needed desserts because Americans expect dessert. And um, they started serving a Japanese confectionery, which is the Fortune's cookies, to their Chinese restaurant patrons. So that's how Japanese Americans made little cookies that were sold in Chinese restaurants on the West Coast. But this still doesn't explain why these came to be thought of as really a Chinese American invention and how they became so famous all around the country. That story coming up after the break. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Okay, so one part of the story of how fortune cookies came to be in Chinese restaurants in America is because in the early 1900s, Japanese restaurateurs were serving Chinese food. But the other part, how they became 100% Chinese American, is to do with a not very pleasant part of American history during the Second World War. Because of the Japanese internment, you know, under an order, executive order 
signed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who, you know, is still considered one of our great presidents, but this is definitely a blemish on his record. You know, they basically rounded up anyone who was of Japanese ascent within 60 miles of the coast. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, our West Coast became a potential combat zone. Living in that zone were more than 100,000 persons of Japanese ancestry, two-thirds of them American citizens, one-third aliens. We knew that some among them were potentially dangerous. Most were loyal. But no one knew what would happen among this concentrated population if Japanese forces should try to invade our shores. Military authorities therefore determined that all of them Citizens and aliens alike would have to move. Have to move, that's one way to phrase it. This is from a 1943 propaganda movie made by the U.S. Office of War Information. In small towns as well as large, up and down the coast, the moving continued. Behind them, they left shops and homes they had occupied for many years. Around 120,000 Japanese men, women, and children, many of them American citizens, were moved into internment camps. They were only allowed to bring what they could carry, and most of them lost everything. Their possessions, their businesses, their land. Back in the cities, Japanese Americans weren't the only ones who had been running Chinese restaurants. Chinese immigrants were too. And they had also started to serve fortune cookies. And so they bought Japanese cookie grills or took over Japanese fortune cookie businesses from Japanese Americans who were now in internment camps. By the time the war was over, the fortune cookie business was solidly Chinese American. And they had really made it their own. They started making them and they started making them at scale. Jenny told us the Chinese inventors started tinkering with the traditional cookie-making process, trying to make it cheaper and quicker. Instead of making them, you know, very bespoke on these, like, hand grills, you started seeing these machines, these automated fortune cookie custom Rube Goldberg-like devices start, like, churning out little yellow circles, and then you had a human at the other end that needed to fold them. This is exactly what we saw at Golden Gate in San Francisco. There was a conveyor belt running through the machine. The machine was dolloping out these perfect round, thin disks of batter. Kevin's machine is more than 50 years old, and it's still running. But the folding and putting in the fortune, that's all still done by hand, which Kevin said slows things down. We are the old school way, the original way. The big breakthrough did actually come from a Chinese immigrant. He invented a machine that he introduced in 1967, and the machine could take the place of the women. It could slip in the paper as the cookie was being folded over. Working by hand, one woman might be able to fold 1,000 cookies an hour. The best machines today can do 6,000 an hour, and so businesses can easily scale up to more than a million cookies a day. Kevin can only make 10,000. This mechanization is part of what made fortune cookies cheap enough to get giveaway at Chinese restaurants across America. So there's a lot of consolidation with the dominant player being wonton food because they just had scale and so could make them cheaper and so they could just sell them for cheaper. By making fortune cookies so cheap and so ubiquitous, Chinese Americans had made fortune cookies American. They are as everyday and as unremarkable as ice in soda and endless coffee refills. Americans expect them, but they're almost like a commodity, right? Because it's not like people are like, ooh, this place has much yummier fortune cookies, so I'm going to go there. But fortune cookies aren't ubiquitous just because they're cheap and restaurants could hand them out. They became so iconic because Chinese restaurants became super popular. That's the story we tell in the United States of Chinese food. And again, you should check it out. But the end result is fortune cookies really took off after the Second World War. The extent that fortune cookies like literally like 
caught fire as a culinary phenomenon post-World War II is astounding. The point, like, they were used in presidential campaigns in 1960. Two Democratic candidates, to be specific, who filled them with campaign messages and gave them out at the Democratic convention. But neither of them became president. Not such good fortune in their cookies. As the fortune cookie business grew, the little crispy treats were so cheap to make that the cookies actually became something Chinese-American noodle companies started to make and give away for free to restaurants to get their business. The news and weather guy Al Roker visited one of those noodle factories in Brooklyn. Estimated 90% of the world's fortune cookies are made by wonton. Factory cranking out more than 4 million cookies a day. That adds up to 1.6% billion fortune cookies a year. So the thing that happens when 90% of your fortune cookies are made in one factory in Brooklyn is that when you print lucky numbers and by coincidence they match the Powerball, you can create 100 plus winners at a time. As Jenny discovered. But it also means that the people who write the fortunes inside can get a little burned out. Well, I'm getting uh, a writer's block more often, so that's why James is, uh, will be helping out and uh, he'll be taking over the responsibility. This is Donald Lau, the CFO of Wonton Foods. He's talking to KMET, a radio station in San Bernardino. When we bought the factory back in the mid-80s, we decided to update the fortunes. And since my English was uh, the best among the group, uh, I was given the job. I guess I got the job by default. Writing fortunes was never uh, part of my career projection. Over the course of Donald's career, fortunes have certainly changed. Well, in the old days, all the fortunes were um, the horoscope type uh, fortunes. Uh, uh, You will do this and this, you will meet that person, uh, you will find love, uh, things like that. But over time, we've introduced some Chinese philosophy and uh, humor into the uh, fortune cookies. Kevin Chang at Golden Gate in San Francisco told us he has 5,000 pre-written fortunes that he rotates. So we have two types of fortune. One is the regular one that accepted by normal people. The other one is semi-not normal because they're adult ones. They're funny, jokes. But they're not offensive, but they, they, they're just jokes. Okay, how about I start one of the regular ones first? Just one, okay? You see this one? The back one has a number on it. People use that for lottery numbers. You will win success in whatever you attempt. That's motivate. Sure. Kevin also has some risque ones that are for the specialty adult cookies, and those will leave to your imagination. But he did tell us that in the normal cookies, he has to be careful not to offend anyone. At Wonton Foods, James Wong, the IT guy, recently took over from Donald, and he told KMET that even the most harmless-seeming fortune can be taken the wrong way. And it was apparently read by someone that is having trouble with the marriage. The husband is about to go off on a business trip. He was in a Chinese restaurant with his wife and got his fortune cookie. The message read, romance is in the air in your next trip. The wife got very upset and decided that it's our fault. Lawsuits from jealous spouses aside, in theory, writing fortune sounds like an easy job, but it was often too hard for the cookie company bakers and professionals to do themselves, so they hired out. Jenny says in the 1970s, the main fortune teller was a 20-something Mexican-American named Faustino Corona. There's who's writing them, and then there's what they say. Jenny told us that in the 50s and 60s, fortune cookies often shared a little ancient wisdom. Many of them started with, Confucius says, 
although Confucius didn't actually say 99% of the things on the fortunes. By the time Donald came along, fortunes had become actual fortunes. Something was going to happen to you, maybe something soon, and it was always something good. Because, you know, fortune cookies are part of a service industry. So if, like, someone gets a bad fortune, they're angry at the restaurant, they give bad tips, the restaurant complains to the distributor, distributor complains to the factory, the factory complains to the people who write the fortunes. So... Fortunes have just been, like, wiped clean of any negative connotation, right? And and generally, they have to be very general use purpose. Like, if there's a dark and handsome you know, man in your future, it means something different to a 26-year-old versus, like, a 6-year-old, right? So so you have to be very careful to make, make these things much more applicable. So eventually, to please the largest number of Americans, fortunes basically turned into Hallmark cards. Like this one that Jenny saved from a recent meal. Make decisions from the heart and use your head to make it work out, which I really liked. It's sort of like follow your passion and just figure it out later. Jenny loves that particular fortune. She kept this one on the back of her phone. And she told us that getting a fortune, not necessarily from a cookie, it's actually pretty common in Asia. But unlike in America, it doesn't always have good news. Honestly, like half of them are negative, right? And like your health is going to suffer. And and. That's okay, because, like, life is some ups, some downs. But that is not the American way. It's all about relentless positivity here. Which brings us to my favorite fortune cookie quiz. Is this a book or tweet or fortune cookie? This was a Washington Post quiz and a Washington Post video, because apparently Senator Cory Booker's Twitter feed is full of heartfelt truisms. So here goes. Is it Cory or is it a cookie? Okay, here's the first one. Those who mistake kindness for weakness reveal that they themselves are weak. Booker or fortune cookie? Mm. It's Cory Booker from November 17th, and it got nearly 300 retweets. Okay, next one. Judge each day not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. Booker or fortune cookie? That sounds like it could be Booker, but in fact, it's a fortune cookie. I guess the moral is fortune cookies for president. I mean... They could not be more American. It's true, even though they're originally Japanese and you get them at Chinese restaurants. They come from a mix and adaptation of different immigrant cultures, like a lot of things we consider super American. So as I like to say, you know, fortune cookies invented by the Japanese, popularized by the Chinese, but ultimately consumed by Americans. And like Americans love fortune cookies, right? They have like chocolate fortune cookies, rainbow fortune cookies, Hanukkah fortune cookies. They're like fortune cookies for dogs. I do have quite a soft spot for fortune cookies, the normal ones, not the Hanukkah versions. So so my partner Tim and I recently got some Chinese takeout, and I stole his fortune cookie too, so I have two right here to crack open. Double the fortune. I feel like karmically, that's going to backfire. But you do you, Cynthia. I got my solo fortune cookie from a little takeout place down the street. I walked in and asked to buy one, and the lady gave it to me, which is truly double fortune. Okay, here we go. Here we go. One. And two. Courage is the hallmark of the warrior. Yes. And then embrace change. Don't battle it. I love it. Those are so uplifting, Cynthia. You are a warrior. <laughs> I'm totally uplifted. Okay, mine. Never stop searching for that thing that seems to escape you. I feel like that's slightly like double-edged. <laughs> <laughs> yours, yours doesn't sound quite as no, happy I'm as like, mine. What? I mean, how do you know? Damn, okay, fortune cookie, I feel seen. And then I turned my fortune over and looked on the back. Oh man, mine has a QR code. I'm like in the 21st century here. What the heck? You have an ad <laughs> on yours. It says Kung Fu on the CW. 
new series, 6 p.m. I have stream free next day, and there's my QR. Wow, it's a sponsored fortune. I love that. Even our fortune cookies aren't immune to the forces of capitalism. If there's white space, there's space for an ad. I know everybody says they taste like cardboard, but I have to say, I, I kind of like them. They taste like cardboard, but they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they taste like sweetened cracker, like cookie, sweetened crunchy cookie bits. A little stale. That's all. I will say, if you're looking for crunch, you can't go wrong with a fortune cookie. They are very crunchy. Okay, here's to fortune cookies. Thanks this episode to Jenny Aitley and Kevin Chan. We have links to Jenny's book and to Kevin's Fortune Cookie Factory in San Francisco on our website, gastropod.com. Happy New Year to everyone. May your fortune be good. And if you win the Powerball, don't forget to support your favorite podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with the first of a special two-part series on a brew that's dark, dreamy, and captivates millions around the world every day. That's right. We are finally waking up and smelling the coffee. Till then. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.